0: For those of you who I haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Clay. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is great to see you guys this morning. And if today is your first time, maybe you're a guest with us this morning, we are especially glad that you decided to take part of your Sunday morning and spend it with us. And as Vanessa mentioned, we would love for you to stop by our guest center on your way out and just meet some of the folks there, ask any questions that you have, and uh, we have a small gift that we would love to give you. If you are here for the first time or if you have uh, missed a couple of weeks recently, you are always able to catch up as to uh, what we've been doing. Listen to the messages online, either audio, podcast, or you can watch them online as well. We now have video up on our website. So you can just go to renaissancechurch.org and click on the button that says messages. And you can catch up on anything that you've missed. You, know, you can also subscribe via iTunes to the audio and video podcast. So that's an easy way to keep up if you're traveling as well. So we are in the middle, actually, we're really starting the second half of a series that we're calling Hashtag Winning. And we're talking about success and kind of contrasting the way in which uh, our society defines success with the way that Jesus defines success. And we're doing that by looking at the beginning section of a sermon, actually Jesus' most famous sermon that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. We're looking at the beginning section, the first 10 or so verses that uh, we call the Beatitudes. And there are eight different sayings in there, eight little short sayings, each of which describes A characteristic that we as followers of Christ ought to exhibit and that really from Jesus' perspective define what success is. So if you think about how our society defines success, if you've got money, if you've got power, if you're able to exert influence, then you're successful. And from Jesus' perspective, there's nothing wrong with money, there's nothing wrong with power, there's nothing wrong with influence if those things are used for the right purposes. But Jesus says, that's not really what success is all about. And so he gives these eight beatitudes that define success in what, from our society's perspective, can uh, often be seen as as a very radically different way. And what I love about these eight Beatitudes is that they give us hope because Jesus here is talking about the blessing that we can experience as we grow to become more and more like him, as he works out these character qualities in our lives We receive blessing and that gives us hope and that gives us encouragement. So let me just kind of review where we've been and then we'll jump into where we're going. The first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we're poor in spirit when we realize that we can do absolutely nothing to earn God's favor. We have nothing in ourselves with which to commend ourselves to God. And that's actually encouraging. That's actually a blessing because when we realize if if I can do nothing to earn God's favor, then he loves me in spite of the fact that I mess up. He loves me in spite of my fallenness and my brokenness. So if I can do nothing to earn his favor, that means he gives me his favor just out of his grace and out of his love. And that's a blessing, and that's encouraging. Second one, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And and the kind of mourning that Jesus is talking about here is grieving because of my sin and my brokenness. And Jesus says, I'm blessed when I grieve about my sin and my brokenness because I know I've got a Savior in heaven who loves me in, fi- in spite of the fact that I'm sinful, that I'm broken, that I'm fallen, that I don't always live the way that I want to live, never mind the way that God would want me to live. And so I'm going to be comforted by that. And so again, there's blessing that's involved in that. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Our society is not really hot on meekness. And, and, and I'm meek when I'm humble, and when I recognize, when I realize, when I admit then I'm no better than anybody else. I'm in no way superior to anybody else. And our society says you get ahead by stepping on other people, by using them, by taking advantage of them. And Jesus says, no, that's not really true success. True success is a meekness, a humility, that frees us from that need to compete with that need to strive to be better than everybody else because we know that our worth comes not from our relationship to other people, not from whether we're better or worse or more intelligent or more wealthy or less or whatever it is than other people. My worth comes from my relationship with God. And so that's freeing, and there's a blessing there as well. And then last week, Rich talked to us about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Jesus says... For they, for we will be filled when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And hungering and thirsting for righteousness means that I have an insatiable desire to be more and more like Jesus. I know I'm not there. I know that I'm broken. I know that I'm fallen. I know that I'm sinful and I mourn over it and I'm sad because of that. But I have a hope because I know that if there's any prayer that God wants to answer, it's a prayer that says, make me more like yourself. And so I want to hunger, I want a thirst to be more and more like Jesus. And that brings us to this week. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. What's Mercy. And how do we define how do we understand this concept of mercy? Mercy is compassion that's shown to someone who is in need often or especially because of an offense that they've committed. Mercy is compassion that's shown to someone in need, especially an offender. The person's in need Sometimes through no fault of their own. Maybe they they have an illness. Maybe they were in an accident. Maybe they lost a job through no fault of their own. And they're in need. And we look at them and we feel compassion for them and we want to show them compassion to release them from that burden. And other times, they're in need because of something they've done. They've offended us. They've hurt us. They owe us something. They've wronged us in some way. And we have a choice as to whether to extend mercy to them or not. So they've got a need that we can meet. And when we choose to do that, when we choose to move beyond simply the emotional response, simply my heart going out to them, and when we choose to act, then we're showing mercy. So mercy involves a need that I can meet and the actual meeting of that need. being merciful in our society has mixed connotations. In a lot of situations, we like the idea of being merciful. I mean, for example, if someone shows me mercy, I like it. You know, I mess up on my job and my boss decides not to fire me, but instead says, well, we just spent a million dollars on your education, so we're going to keep you around for a while. You know, then okay, I like that kind of mercy. And I like the kind of mercy that people show to each other because it kind of gives you this warm feeling. You know, one of 500 news stories is somebody, you know, something positive. Everything on the news seems to be negative. But once in a while, you find that positive news story where you've got this heartwarming story of somebody showing mercy to somebody else. And we like that. And sometimes I even like showing mercy to other people as long as it doesn't cost me too much. And see, the challenge with mercy is that it usually costs us something. Sometimes it costs us time. Sometimes it costs us money. But often the most difficult is when it costs us the opportunity to exact revenge or to get back at somebody who's offended us when we have to release them from that debt that they owe us. And maybe it's not even a financial debt. Maybe it's a relational debt. And we have to release them from that in order to show them mercy and in order to restore the relationship. And that can be incredibly challenging. So mercy isn't always easy, but it is so often life-changing. How many of you guys have seen the movie or the Broadway show or read the book Les Mis, Les Miserables. Go ahead and raise your hand if you've, if you've seen that. So about half, maybe two-thirds of you. And I won't ask how many of you have actually been in, in a, in a church like Renaissance. We've had some folks who have acted on Broadway. And I'm about to tell a little piece of it here. And uh, it's always a scary thing when you've got people who know the story better than you do. So I'm going to rely on that great source for all knowledge, the Internet. And I'm going to read you... A uh, review that I ran into recently, which I think just captures the heart of this story, and it's very moving. Uh, The the author writes, Went to the movies with the wife. We saw this obscure movie I'd never heard of, some French foreign film. They must have been giving away free tickets because the lines were out the door. Anyway, the movie starts, and Wolverine is singing his guts out. (laughs) Then Catwoman starts crying and singing, and she chops off her hair and loses her teeth. It's all very moving. The only problem was the girl next to me, who had apparently read the book or something, starts singing along, and man, that was distracting. Anyway, so Wolverine's on the run from the gladiator because Catwoman had a baby at a pub owned by Borat and Bellatrix. Anyway, but now Catwoman wants Wolverine to care for the baby so that the baby can grow up to be the girl from Mamma Mia. Time skip. We're just going to jump to the end. Anyway, bunch of kids get shot. Everybody dies. Four stars. Great movie. Guy obviously loved it. And there you go. That is Les Mis in a nutshell. Actually, it's a great story. I loved it. It's probably available now on Fios or or, uh, Netflix. You can get it maybe at Redbox. If you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth seeing. There are some awesome illustrations in there of Mercy. And I just want to share a little bit about uh, that with you. So the movie starts off with the main character named Jean Valjean. And he is just about to be released from prison after having spent about 18 or 19 years in prison. The first five or six or so were because he had stolen bread in order to uh, feed his sister's children. And the rest of the time was because he had uh, accumulated numerous escape attempts and had been unsuccessful, so more time is being added on to his sentence. And so he's been released, and he's now wandering the French countryside trying to find a job, trying to find a place to live, trying to find food. But every time he stops and he goes into an inn or he goes for a job, they ask to see his papers, and his papers show that he's an ex-convict. So no one will give him a job, no one will give him food, no one will give him a place to live. And so he finally comes to a small town named Dania, and he goes to the bishop's house there, and the bishop takes him in. And he feeds him, he gives him a bed to sleep in, he lets him clean up, and he just shows him kindness and grace. And Jean Valjean repays the bishop by stealing his silver and fleeing in the middle of the night. And so in the next scene, we see that the police have captured Jean Valjean And they march him back in chains to the bishop's house. They drop the bag full of silver on the dining room table. And they say to the bishop, we caught this man with your silver. And the bishop says, there must be some mistake. That silver was a gift. Jean Valjean, I gave you that silver. And in fact, I'm very disappointed in you, Jean Valjean, because you forgot the candlesticks. And he goes over to the cupboard grabs these two heavy silver candlesticks, hands him to Jean Valjean and says, take these, you forgot them. And the police are incredulous. And Jean Valjean is incredulous because he's expecting to be sent back to prison probably for the rest of his life. But instead of meeting out justice against him, the bishop shows him mercy. And not only does he just forgive him, he adds to what he had already stolen. And so the police leave and the bishop turns to Jean Valjean and he says, you've got another chance. Take this silver and begin a new life. Make something of yourself as a result of this gracious gift that I've given you. And I'll tell you more about the story later. Seriously, it's, it's just an unbelievable story of, of God's grace and his mercy Jean Valjean didn't deserve that mercy he had done absolutely nothing to deserve it but the bishop out of the goodness and kindness of his heart extended to Valjean something that that Valjean didn't deserve because mercy is based on the character of the giver not the character of of the receiver, and Jean Val, uh, I'm sorry, and the bishop realized that a man's life was a lot more important than silver, and so he was willing to pay that price and to show him that mercy. And Jesus says, "Blessed are the merciful." And, and the question for us is, so how do we grow in mercy? How do we, in a sense, become more like that bishop? And I want to look at that by returning to uh, to the story of Les Mis and Jean Valjean and pick it up after, uh, after he had left the bishop's house. <clears throat> so there's kind of a circuitous route and Jean Valjean is not immediately transformed. But over a period of time, Jean Valjean changes and his character morphs and he becomes more and more merciful. And so we've got uh, this one scene in which a cart has overturned on somebody and Jean Valjean realizes that the guy is going to be crushed and he's going to suffocate and he's going to die unless he goes and saves him because he's the only one around that's strong enough to do it. So he lifts the cart off the guy. The guy comes out and is, is safe as a result of that. But because of what Jean Valjean did, they begin to wonder who he is because you see at this point, he's a factory owner in this small obscure town and he's actually become the mayor of the town and they're like, Where does this factory owner and mayor get this kind of strength? And as a factory owner, he's able to give jobs to, to people who wouldn't otherwise be able to have them. And time and time and time again, you see situations in which Jean Valjean, sometimes at great cost to himself, is willing to show mercy to other people. And it's a result of the mercy that the bishop had shown to him. And when he really understood, when he really appreciated the mercy that the bishop had shown him, it began to change Jean Valjean, and he began to develop the character, really, in a sense, of that bishop. And in the same way, the more that I embrace the mercy that God has shown to me, the more that I'm going to show mercy to others. When I really learn to appreciate and appropriate and embrace and own the mercy that God has shown to me, then my life is going to be changed. My heart's going to be transformed and I'm going to show that same kind of mercy to others. When I understand how much it cost God to show me mercy when his son died on the cross for me, then when I'm in situations where I have an opportunity to show mercy, the cost to me to show mercy to others is going to pale in comparison to the cost of God and my heart's going to be transformed and I'm going to become more and more like God. When you think through the Beatitudes, when I'm poor in spirit because I realize that I can do nothing to earn God's favor, when I mourn because I grieve over my sin and my brokenness, when I'm meek so that I'm humble and I don't look down on others, but I see them as no worse than I, when I see myself as no better than those around me, when I hunger and thirst for righteousness, when I have this insatiable desire to exhibit the character of Jesus in my life, when I embrace those first four beatitudes, then I'm going to be merciful. Then I'm going to show others the kind of mercy, the kind of love, the kind of grace that God has shown me. The more that I embrace the mercy that God has shown to me, the more that I'm going to show mercy to others. Think for a minute about the mercy that God has shown us. We were in incredible need, and Paul talks about that in the book of Romans that he wrote in in Romans chapter 5. And Paul says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, when we were in need, Christ died for the ungodly very rarely I'm sorry uh, yeah very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners while we were still broken while we had nothing to commend ourselves to God Christ died for us and since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, not while we were his friends, but while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Paul says we were powerless. He says we were sinners. He says we were God's enemies, yet God showed us mercy not because of who we were not because of anything we've done but in fact in spite of who we were and in spite of what we've done God showed us mercy because of who he is because of his character not because of ours because that's the kind of God he is and Paul continues and he writes actually in the book of Titus and he says but when the kindness and love Of God, our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, because we hadn't done any righteous things in his sight, but because of his mercy. God saved us because of his kindness, because of his love, because of his mercy, because that's the kind of God who he is. So his mercy reflects his character, not ours. We don't deserve his mercy, yet he gives it to us, Because he loves us. And Jesus says in Matthew 5. Blessed are the merciful. For they will be shown mercy. Because that's the kind of God. That we have. And when we embrace. The mercy of that God has shown us, it transforms us, it changes us from the inside out so that we become more merciful and show that same kind of mercy to others. It's God's work in us. It's not that we just work harder and harder and harder to be more merciful. No, we focus on the mercy that God has given us and God's spirit works in us to transform us so that mercy changes us and flows through us and into the lives of those around us. And then as it does, we gain greater and greater and greater assurance and certainty because we've seen God working in our hearts. We gain that assurance that we will indeed continue to enjoy the mercy that God has given us and ultimately enjoy it for eternity as we spend forever with our Lord and Savior and in his presence in relationship with him in heaven. And that's why this beatitude is a blessing rather than a burden. It's a blessing because God shows us mercy. We receive that mercy, and then he works in us and through us so that we can show it to others. And it just begins a cycle that continues on and on and on, and it gives us hope. The flip side of that mercy is that not everybody is willing to accept it. Not everybody is willing to receive it. And a lack of mercy, a lack of showing mercy to others is an indication that we've been unwilling to receive the mercy that God has shown us, either because we don't think we need it, because maybe we think we're good enough, or we we decide we want to try to earn God's favor on our own. But if you remember, we can't earn God's favor on our own. So either we decide we want to earn it on our own, or for some reason... We just spurn it, and we just decide, no, I, I'm not interested in it. And you'd think that we'd all want it. You'd think that we'd all be willing to receive it. you think we'd all be excited about it. But that's not always the case. And if you think through the story of Les Mis, there's a character named Javert. And Javert was a prison guard when Jean Valjean was uh, in prison for those 19 years. And he took a special interest in Jean Valjean, but not in a positive way. He, you know, had special punishments for him. He treated him harshly. And while Valjean was leaving and heading off to a life that was supposed to be a life of freedom, it was almost like Javert was taunting him, saying, you're never going to change. Things are never going to be better for you. And in fact, someday I'm going to see you again. And, you know, I'm going to triumph over you. And throughout... Uh, most of the story, Javert is following after Jean Valjean, and he finally figures out who he is, because, see, when Valjean was the mayor, nobody knew his history, but Javert sees him, figures out who he is, and he starts looking for a way to catch him, to put him back in jail, and it just goes throughout the whole story. It's kind of, it creates a tension there. But at the end of the story, this really amazing thing happens. Valjean has an opportunity to kill Javert and to be able to get away with it. But instead, he shows him mercy and he spares his life and he sets him free. But Javert is unable, he's incapable of reconciling his desire for justice with the mercy that he's just been shown. And you see, Javert, his whole life is focused on the law and on exacting justice and punishment and doing things according to the law. And he's got no room in his worldview for mercy. So when this tension between the justice required by the law and the mercy that Valjean has showed him, but that he never showed to Valjean, when that tension between the justice and the mercy arises, it destroys him. And he does the only thing that he can think of to do. He throws himself off a bridge and dies. Javert Javert could not reconcile justice with mercy. But God can. God reconciles justice with mercy. He doesn't put aside justice in order to show mercy. And he doesn't let justice triumph over mercy so that he doesn't show mercy. Instead, what he does is he satisfies justice and shows mercy at the same time. So when Jesus died on the cross... He died in my place. He died in your place. He died to satisfy justice. He paid the penalty for us that we rightly should have paid. And so justice was satisfied, but mercy was shown. Jesus got our death so that we could get his life. Javert couldn't, rec- couldn't reconcile justice and mercy, but Jesus could. And as a result, we can enjoy the mercy that God offers to us, confident that his justice has been satisfied, that we don't have to satisfy his justice because he's already done it for us. And so we can rejoice, we can enjoy the hope that we have as a result of the mercy that God has shown us. God's mercy reflects his character, not ours. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he satisfied God's justice and he satisfied our need for mercy. Let me give you three practical ways in which we can kind of apply these things to our lives. First, personalize the Beatitudes. Make them your own. Blessed am I when I'm poor in spirit because I realize that I can do nothing to earn God's favor. So I don't need to try to earn God's favor because Jesus has already done it for me. So I'm blessed. Blessed am I when I mourn, when I grieve over my sin and my brokenness because The more I understand my brokenness and the depths of my depravity, the more I appreciate the mercy that God has shown me. And because I know that I will be comforted because of what Jesus has done for me. Blessed am I when I'm meek, when I'm humble, when I realize that I am no better than anybody else because I don't need to keep trying to be better than anybody else. I don't need to climb on top of other people in order to get get ahead because it's not a competition. Because we're all the same before God. And because my worth doesn't become doesn't come from my relationship to other people, whether I'm better or worse than they am, whether I'm richer or poorer, whether I'm stronger or weaker, whether I'm more or less powerful, whether I have more or less influence, it comes from my relationship with God. And there's more than enough of God to go around. It's not a zero-sum game. God's love is sufficient for all of us. And that's where my worth comes from, not from my relationship to other people. Blessed am I when I hunger and thirst for righteousness, when I have this insatiable desire to be more and more and more like Jesus, because I know that that's a prayer that he's going to answer. Ask God to make you more like him. He's going to answer that prayer. He wants me to be more and more like himself. And blessed am I when I'm merciful because that shows that I have embraced the mercy that God has shown to me. And I can just bask in it. I can just enjoy it and continue to be excited and have hope of the fact that I am going to enjoy the mercy of God in heaven with him forever. And just let him work in me and through me To show mercy to others, and I can enjoy and I can be blessed as He uses me to be a blessing in other people's lives. So personalize the Beatitudes, make them your own. Second, meditate on God's mercy. Take some time to meditate on God's mercy. Think about your brokenness, think about your sin, think about where you fall short. Not in order to feel worse about yourself but to gain a better appreciation for the mercy of God. Because see, if I'm not so bad, God's mercy isn't so great, right? But if I realize that it's what I did that put Jesus on the cross, and yet he did that willingly, not grudgingly. He did it because he loves me. He did it because he wants to have a relationship with me. That's life-changing. What a blessing it is to have a God who is so merciful that he was willing to, to die for me. And then finally, pray. Take some time to pray and to ask God to give you a greater appreciation for his mercy. Ask God to give you a greater appreciation for his love and ask him to transform your heart, to give you the same heart for those around you that he has for you. Ask him to help you to see those around you, in the same way that he sees you. Because when we do that, when I see you as God sees me, my heart's going to go out to you in the same way that God's heart goes out to me. So ask God to transform your heart because that's something that he wants to do also. We receive mercy, not because we deserve it, not because we earn it, not because we're merciful, but because we cry out to a merciful God who loves us and who's eager to show us mercy. And all we have to do is ask for it. And when we embrace that mercy when we receive it, when we really appreciate it, it's going to transform our lives. It's going to change us. It's going to help us to become more and more and more like the God who showed us that incredible mercy. Let me pray for us. Father, it's an amazing thing to think about how you, the creator of the universe, was willing to show me mercy when I deserve nothing other than your wrath. Thank you that you were able to satisfy your justice and at the same time show me mercy. I thank you for your love, for your grace, your forgiveness. And I pray for myself, I pray for each of us that we would embrace that mercy that you've shown us. And I pray, Father, that as we do that, your spirit would work in our hearts to change us from the inside out so that we'd become more and more and more like you, that we would look at others and see them as you see us and that our hearts would go out to them and we would want to show mercy to those around us. And Father, I thank you that because of what Christ has done, we can spend eternity with you in your presence, enjoying your mercy and your grace and your love, and your majesty, and your splendor, and your power, and your holiness. I thank you that you're a merciful, and gracious, and loving God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming out this morning. I hope you have a wonderful week.